0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show...
1: We brought this suit to confirm that Mississippi voters can vote absentee and not run the risk of catching the coronavirus.
0: The Mississippi Center for Justice files suit against the Secretary of State's office over the issue of absentee voting ahead of the November general election. Then, a movement to unite communities of poverty across the country turns its efforts to key Senate races in the South. Plus, the coronavirus pandemic is changing how the 2020 Mississippi Book Festival looks. We talked to the festival's literary director about how book lovers can access this year's content. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new lawsuit seeks to ensure Mississippians who are concerned about voting in person because of the coronavirus pandemic can do so by absentee ballot in November. The Mississippi Center for Justice and the American Civil Liberties Union argue in the suit that the state's absentee ballot law is confusing, citing language added by the legislature during the pandemic. They're asking a judge to clarify that all voters who follow public health guidance to avoid contracting COVID-19 may vote by absentee ballot in the fall elections. Rob McDuff is a lawyer with the Mississippi Center for Justice. He shares more about the lawsuit with our Ashley Norwood
1: there are a list of uh, provisions under Mississippi law that describes certain groups of people that can vote absentee Uh, It includes people who are over 65. It includes people who are going to be out of the County on election day. Um, And it, it, it includes people with a temporary or permanent disability that will create health problems for them. If they go to the polls, um, and a number of other a number of other categories as well but it's basically the, these categories are specifically set forth in the law
2: gotcha and so so then what's your concern with uh, the provisions during the covid-19 pandemic
1: well well we you know we brought this suit to confirm that mississippi voters who are following public health guidance to avoid unnecessary public gatherings during the pandemic can vote absentee and not run the risk of catching the coronavirus on election day at crowded polling places. Uh, This summer, the legislature amended the absentee ballot law and said you can vote absentee by checking the box for temporary disability if you are under a, quote, physician-imposed quarantine, end quote, as a result of the coronavirus. Um, however, that is, a, that is a very ambiguous phrase, and they didn't bother to define it in the law. However, uh, one of the sponsors of the bill stated on the floor of the House of Representatives that the phrase, quote, physician-imposed quarantine, end quote, does not require a direct communication from your doctor. But instead includes public health guidance from offices like the Mississippi Department of Health and the U.S. Center for Disease Control, Centers for Disease Control, whose directors are physicians. He also said that this decision belongs to the voter and it is up to the voter to decide whether to request an absentee ballot in order to follow public health guidance and avoid unnecessary public gatherings on Election Day. Now, unfortunately, most voters don't know about these statements made on the House floor, so we are asking a judge to confirm this and issue a court order making it clear that people do not have to ignore public health guidance in order to vote and instead can vote absentee if they are concerned about contracting the coronavirus at the polling places on Election Day.
2: Do you fear that it it could boil down to um, voters having to choose between casting a ballot and risking their own health?
1: That's our our real concern. Voters should not have to uh, risk their own health in order to exercise the right to vote. Voters should not have to ignore the public health guidance from the Mississippi Department of Health. In order to exercise their right to vote. So and and we believe that the statute passed this summer, as clarified on the floor of the House of Representatives, does permit voters to vote absentee if they are concerned about contracting coronavirus by going to the polls on Election Day.
2: And then as far as um, you know, so having a judge to confirm that, and then I guess on the local level as well, circuit clerks, aren't they the ones who actually um, case by case accept or deny someone uh, who may be wanting to vote by absentee?
1: I think the, the circuit clerks need guidance about what this law means uh, just as much as the voters need guidance. But um as the sponsor of the bill made clear on the floor of the House of Representatives, it is up to the voter to decide whether to claim a temporary disability uh, in order to vote absentee. It's not up to the circuit clerk to second-guess voters. I mean, just as the circuit clerk can't second-guess you if you say, I'm going to be out of the county on Election Day, and I'm therefore entitled to an absentee ballot, uh, the circuit clerk can't second-guess a voter. who says, uh, I have a temporary disability under the law, and I'm entitled to vote absentee. So what's really important is that voters be assured that they do not have to risk their health in order to vote absentee and that they do not have to ignore public health guidance in order to vote.
0: Rob McDuff is a lawyer with the Mississippi Center for Justice. The lawsuit was filed Tuesday in Hines County Chancery Court on behalf of seven voters. Some of them have pre-existing health conditions and they're afraid they'll contract the virus by voting in person. County circuit clerks manage absentee ballot requests in the state. Connie Ladner is the circuit clerk in Harrison County. She says the provision gives partial eligibility to residents with concerns over voting in person.
3: I would say that it. Partially, it does. With the, and when I say that, I mean you've probably seen the wording. It says that you that the voter is um, in a physician-imposed quarantine due to the due to COVID-19, right in 2020. So, but it also says you have a temporary or permanent physical disability. So that's sort of where when someone calls and says, "I want to request an absentee ballot," we have to ask the reason and then sort of go from there to determine if they're eligible to vote absentee. So, so Someone calls and they say they want to vote absentee, and we say, what is the reason, of course, because we have to have a reason to mail out a ballot, um, and they, give, they say, you know, I have a temporary disability. Um, then we enter them for a temporary disability that may have an underlying condition. We just have to ask them questions to, to make sure that we get them in the right category.
2: And you say partially, do you say that because if someone doesn't have a disability or is quarantined, but if they just, if they're afraid because they may, you know, fit in their population, um, making them more vulnerable, um, if they were to say that they're just, you know, afraid of voting in person, is that something you would accept?
3: Well, I think we would have to really have a conversation with them when they call to make sure that we can enter them as temporarily disabled for them to get that ballot. I mean, when they, when they fill out the form, if they feel comfortable checking, I have a temporary or permanent physical disability, then yes, they're going to mark that form and they're going to get their ballot. We don't want anybody to be turned away from voting. I mean, we want everybody that wants to vote needs to be able to vote. As far as people voting in person absentee, of course, when they come to the courthouse to vote, masks are required when you come into the courthouse. Um, we will be making sure too that the lines the people in line are socially distanced while they wait in line to vote. We will take my staff and I will take necessary precautions in the office just like the poll manager is going to do at the polling places to keep the voters as safe as possible while they're waiting to absentee vote. Um, we'll do everything we can here that's possible just like they will do at the polls. Now you know the dates of absentee voting. I'm sure we start September 21st. And it goes until October 31st. Um, The one change this year for absentee voting is we normally, the normal cutoff for absentee voting is noon, the Saturday prior to the election. But for this election, it's 5 p.m. the Saturday prior to the election. So it's extended hours for people to vote absentee in person.
2: Well, Harrison County Circuit Clerk Ms. Connie Latner, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us about what's happening in Harrison County and um, you know what we should expect in the upcoming election.
3: Thank you. Have a great day.
2: The
0: lawsuit named Secretary of State Michael Watson and the Hines and Rankin County Circuit Clerks as defendants. Watson's office says they're reviewing the complaint and have no comments at this time. Coming up, a movement to unite communities of poverty across the country turns its efforts to key Senate races in the South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A campaign inspired by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s A Last Organized last organizing effort says new data suggests low-income voters in key states could swing some U.S. Senate races, including the 2020 contest between Republican incumbent Cindy Hyde-Smith and challenger Mike Espy. The Poor People's Campaign, a coalition of activists and union and religious leaders, says it's using the data from a study by the Columbia School of Social Work to pressure candidates to focus on the systemic issue of poverty in places like the South. The Reverend Dr. William Barber II is a co-founder of the Poor People's Campaign.
5: The pandemic has exposed the pandemonic of racism and economic equality. And in the midst of this painful moment, people are starting to realize the power that they have, they come together. Do not write off the South. If you're serious about this, you better invest in the South and in these candidates, just like you're investing in other states. Stop leaving the South untouched and unfought for how in the world can you write off 160 to 70 electoral votes that are in the south and 26 seats in the united states senate how can you just write that off and then think somehow that is a position of victory it does not work we need to fight for every every piece of political turf in this country. And if you do that, if you do it about issues and not just about personality, I am convinced that poor and low wealth people will rally in powerful and, and ways. And I'm also convinced that many of us are going to rally anyway, because we're tired of being ignored. Poor and low wealth people are tired of being ignored and pushed to the margin. And so they are going to show their power at this at the ballot box in November and beyond. That's what our campaign is committed to uh, um, from here. Until we no longer exist in this earth.
0: The Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is also a co founder of the group. She says the current political system often overlooks the issues underserved communities face
4: on a daily basis. Because this political system has really disenfranchised voters, you know, through voter suppression and and through, you know, higher problems around transportation and childcare and living wage jobs, um, but also because, uh, Um, you know, we do not hear the agenda items that poor and low-income voters need to be hearing in our political system today. We, from the beginning of this Poor People's Campaign, have raised that in national debates and state debates around um, elections, we do not hear uh, the issues of poverty, of voter suppression, of living wages, of health care. You know, the the primary issues that, that impact actually the majority of people in this country, but starting with the poor and low income. Um, You know, we can have 30 televised debates uh, uh, that are happening and not one of them take up even for 15, 20 minutes, let alone an hour of a debate on these issues. Um, and and what we've we've said, as as Reverend Barber said at, at the beginning, we we see politicians running from these issues. Um, but what we're doing is putting together an agenda, an agenda that speaks about universal health care, that speaks about living wages, about decent education, about strong safety net programs, uh, uh, that connects to saving the earth, to saving our economy, um, and and says, you know, this is all possible. The group is using the study
0: by Columbia Assistant Professor Robert Paul Hartley to encourage poor and low-income people in 13 states to register to vote.
5: One of the biggest things we're doing to fight back against the attempt to, to, to be suppressed is informing people how much power we have. And it's amazing how the more people see this data and see how much power poor and low-income people have and see that it's not that, that you have to win everybody, it's not that you have to have 100%. More and more poor people and low income people are saying, we're going to do what we always had to do. We're going to fight. We're going to put our masks on. We're going to put our gloves on. We're going to mail in. We're going to do whatever we have to do. Because guess what? Our lives are on the line every day. Anyway, 700 people die every day from poverty, even before COVID, from poverty and low wealth, according to another study by the Mailman School of Public Policy at Columbia University. This really is about life and death.
0: Dr. William Barber, II of the Poor People's Campaign. The study found that low-income eligible non-voters make up about one-fifth of the electorate in states like Arkansas, Kentucky, and Mississippi. Coming up, the coronavirus pandemic is changing how the 2020 Mississippi Book Festival looks. We talked to the festival's literary director about how book lovers can access this year's content. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker.
6: Slowly, we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll
1: stop traffic, grab one out of the road.
6: And then our friends found out, and our vet would call us.
1: Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker.
6: We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle
1: rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio, or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Since 2015, the Mississippi Book Festival, a nonprofit founded by literacy advocates, has drawn thousands to the state capitol grounds. But this year things will be different for the sixth edition of the Literary Lawn Party. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, this year's festival will be all virtual with a wide variety of digital content today or launching today. Ellen Rogers Daniels is the festival's literary director. She tells us how book lovers can access this year's content.
6: So we are releasing our virtual festival today and we hope that it engages readers all across um, you know, book fans and lovers all across this state and hopefully, you know, around the country because we've always, in the past years of the festival, you know, we've had visitors from all over the country attend. So we hope that we can reach, you know, past festival goers. Uh, we, while we could not, um, get everyone that we had in mind to attend the festival in person this year, um, in a virtual interview, we really wanted to focus on someone that, um, that you know, past festival favorites and ones that we have tried to get, um, you know, in previous years.
0: Tell us about some of those you're featuring this year.
6: So we have got. Um, so actually, this year is the 75th anniversary of Richard Wright's, you know, classic memoir Black Boy, and we really wanted to honor him and the contribution that he made to the literary landscape in Mississippi. So we have got. We've gotten four great um, black male authors from Jackson to be in conversation about the impact that that work had on their lives. And then we have also got um, a, another Mississippi native, Natasha Trethewey, who's got a um, a brand-new memoir, which is, you know, it's a, a memoir about her mother. And it is truly an incredible um an incredible piece of work and she is also interviewed we did that in, um, in partnership with Lemuria Bookstore here in Jackson, Mississippi and she is in conversation again with Keese Layman and it is uh, just one of the best book discussions and it's certainly worth
0: mentioning that Natasha Trethaway is the former poet laureate, national poet laureate and Mississippi's poet laureate. poet
6: laureate Yes, exactly, um, she is truly a marvel and just a wonderful person and just an incredible poet um, and author. So we're were very honored to be able to do that uh, with Lemuria.
0: Ellen, when you talk about conversations, what is the platform? Are these podcasts? Are they videos?
6: So how we are releasing them, you know, you can do all sorts of things with Zoom, which is how we're living our lives basically these days. Um, we record those interviews and then they will, we are also we are presenting them as virtual video interviews and then we are presenting them as podcasts as well. So, but festival lovers and book lovers can get them in whichever uh, format is most convenient to them.
0: How do they access? Is this all on your website?
6: This is all going to be on our website. This, yes, yeah, this it's all on our website. We, um, and then on the MPB host for our podcast, so you can go to MPB's website or anywhere you get podcasts and access right on the the podcast right on Mississippi.
0: And the interviews with the authors are conducted by, well, I know that you've done some of them yourself, right? Uh,
6: Yes, ma'am, I have. We have many, um, we've gotten several people from the community to. You know conduct these interviews uh the first lady of jackson and the chair of the english department at jsu uh dr ebony LaBamba has done several she is a um she's also on the advisory board of the miss city book festival and ebony is, has been a great uh participant in all of this and we're so grateful to have her on our side <laughs>
0: It sounds like a great alternative if you can't be outside the Capitol. You can be in the comfort of your own home and still enjoy hearing from some terrific authors. What is your website where people can access this?
6: It is uh, www.msbookfestival.com. Ellen Rogers Daniels
0: is the literary director for the Mississippi Book Festival. Thank you so much. I hope everybody goes to your website today and starts listening and watching.
6: Thank you so much for doing this with me, and I have to thank my coworkers while we're here. Um, Holly Lane, the executive director. Uh, we couldn't do this without her. And Tonja Murphy, the community engagement coordinator. Uh, Tonja is incredible with students and getting, you know, all the students around the metro area involved. We're really, really grateful to have her on our team. So thank you so much for doing this with me, Karen. I really appreciate it.
0: Again, Ellen Rogers-Daniels is the festival's literary director. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning.